to Luke 1 and 2. I want to spend just a few minutes finishing up a little bit of what we started last week. Excuse me. I heard something, but I didn't hear it all. Okay. Luke 1 and 2 um, will primarily be in Luke 2. But I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, I, I did a series years ago about the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And uh, I want to talk a little bit today, finish up this talk about those that were eyeball witnesses of the birth. And uh, we kind of began that a little bit last uh, week. Who knew what was going on? Well, we know that the angels kind of knew what was going on, right? Um, it, was, it was the angel Gabriel who said to Zechariah, John the Baptist's daddy, uh, he said to him, I'll have you know, I stand in the presence of God. Okay, so he knew what was going on in the Christmas story. There weren't too many that knew, but he was one that did know. Um, it was them, those angels, that heavenly host, who sang the first Gloria in Excelsis Deo. <coughs> we'll probably sing it today. You'll probably sing it sometime this week. You'll sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, or uh, something like it. So we know the angels knew what was going on. I think Joseph knew some of what was going on. Do you? Uh, I, I began to think about this this week. Um, but I think he only knew some, really, of what was happening. And, it, and I'm going to kind of... Um, I, I read some stuff this week um, where they're, they're wondering whether Santa is a man or a woman. Have you read any of this stuff? I, I hate to be the only one... It's, if this person says to, to defy sacred myth, but this person thinks that he's a she. Think about it. Christmas is big and organized and warm and fuzzy and nurturing social deal, and I, and I have a tough time in believing a guy could pull that all off. <laughs> Another problem for a he Santa would be getting there. First of all, there'd be no reindeer because they'd all be dead, gutted, strapped to the rear bumper of the sleigh amid wide-eyed desperate claims that buck season had been extended. Blitzen's rack would already be on the way to the taxidermist if, if Santa was guy. That's, that's this person's point of view. Um, uh, and even if the male Santa did have reindeer, he'd still have transportation problems because he'd inevitably get lost in the snow and clouds and then refuse to stop and ask for directions. So, you know, I don't know. Well, uh, now, someone says, someone else says that he's definitely a man because anyone who's ever dated or married or been in the same room with a woman knows that unless the air temperature is high enough to cook a small turkey, she'll complain about being too cold. So there's no way that she would choose the North Pole as a base of operations. It's got to be a man. <laughs> Santa is fat and jolly. I dare anyone to describe any woman as fat and jolly. <laughs> Santa is at the mall. Saw him there this week. Now, I know that others have used the mall example as proof that Santa's a woman. However, you see both men and women at the mall. And let me ask you this. What does Santa do at the mall? He sits down. Okay? Uh, not the woman. All right. Um, uh, Santa likes milk and cookies. If Santa were a woman, we'd have to leave Godiva chocolate and International Foods coffees. You know, that kind of thing. But Santa's just good with milk and cookies. All right? So I think I'll leave that to, for you to make up your mind um, I think he's probably the jolly old elf, and he's a guy like we thought. But I got to thinking about the men in the story, and the man in particular, 
of, of the story of Christmas. And I, and I think that Joseph was well informed on this. Uh, you know, um, he had received an angelic visitation. But one of the things I've got to appreciate about Joseph is his willingness to be a part of God's plan for our salvation while only getting one brief instruction at a time. I actually really love that about him. Joseph, take Mary as your wife. And so he did that. Joseph, um, take your family and go to Egypt. And so he does that. Joseph, when you come back, I want you to settle in Nazareth, not in Bethlehem. And he does that. One instruction at a time. He's kind of, he lives his wonderful, almost unknown life as a, a man who accepts, uh, accepts God's plan on a need-to-know basis only. And I really love that about him. But the truth is, it was really Mary who knew the most. And I want to make a case about this. And I want us to go to Luke 1 and 2. We're going to start at Luke 1, 26 in just a minute. I think I've got an answer to Mark Lowry's song. I think she knew a lot. Okay? You know that Mary Did You Know song? I think Mary knew a lot. In fact, I think Mary knew more than anyone on the planet at the time. Uh, she was the most informed of anyone living on earth at the time about what God was up to. And I want to make a case for this. Let's go to one, uh, Luke 1. Somebody read verse 26 through 29. Luke 1, 26 through 29. She begins to wonder, but she's the one who's had the angelic appearance. Okay, now let's go to one other place here. Same chapter, somebody jump up and read 43 down through 45. Luke 1, 43 through 45. Hang on just a second, Cindy. I want you to go back to that. I needed to set the stage for it. This is Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth, who is six months or so ahead of her in, in, in um, um, being uh, ex expectant of John the Baptist. And so as they meet, this is what happens. Cindy, can I ask you to go back to 43 and read through 45? Did Elizabeth and now Mary know whom Mary was carrying? The mother of my Lord, capital L. Did you read that? Isn't it, isn't it interesting that Mary starts putting all this together? It would, it would take more than an angelic visitation, I'm going to tell you. It would take more than her realizing, okay, what the angel has said is beginning to come about. It's going to take a witness of... of um, you could argue a friend, a cousin, who says, 
You're carrying the Lord. How did Elizabeth know that? Because John's testifying already and he, hadn't been, he won't be born yet for another three months. Did you catch that? My baby recognized your baby. What a wonderful thing. Now, and, and by the way, in the truest sense of the term wonderful. Got my notes on the iPad today and it keeps fritzing out on me, so give me a second here. All right, let's, let's, let's keep going with the story. Go over to chapter 2, and I want somebody to read verse 35. 2.35. This is, I think, in the middle of the story when, um, when Simeon uh, meets the, the couple and, and wants to kind of love on the baby for a minute. And then he, he pronounces in this song that he sings over the baby this amazing prophecy. Uh, Luke 23, 35. Somebody got that? I'm sorry, Luke 2, 35. Somebody got that? The angel Isn't it wonderful? Now, that, that's, um, I think we're still on one there. Can I ask you to flip one page over, go to chapter 2, read 35, which is going to talk about part of what happened when she meets Simeon. Uh, keep going, yeah, that's good. What do you think she thought of this? When this elderly gentleman who's been waiting all his life and God says, you're not going to leave this planet until you've met the Messiah. Now says, I've met him. And he says, young lady, there will be a sword that will pierce your soul. I think the, Mary's the most informed person alive in those days about what God is up to. More than the priest more even than her dutiful husband, Joseph. Let's go to one more verse, verse 51. Somebody got it? 251? Mary, it says in a couple of different spots, two or three places in Luke's gospel, that Mary, this was at age 12, when he's left behind at the temple while he is sitting at the feet of the learned and they're astounded at him. Mary hears that story and she begins to ponder all these things in her heart. She began to ponder way back when the angel made his first visitation and she would ponder for the rest of her life. She kept on pondering until after he would ascend back to his father. By the way, she was still alive then. In fact, she became a very important source for Luke's gospel. She became a very important source for Mark's gospel. She became a, certainly a very important source for Matthew and John's gospel because she knew the story before any of them did, even though they were eyewitnesses of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. So was she. Can you imagine... In one of those early meetings after the resurrection, they would come to kind of, the Lord taught us this, and the Lord taught us this, and the Lord taught us this, and then He did this. Can you imagine when they'd come to some kind of an impasse, they would look 
back to the back of the room. There was an elderly woman there. And they would say, Sister Mary, will you tell us again the story of Christmas? We weren't there. You were. Well, the truth is that, of course, we talked about him a little last week. There were some unlikely witnesses of the birth. And there were these shepherds, the most unlikely witnesses of all. Uh, there would be no wise men there on that silent night. Are you aware of that? I mean, we've got a, we've got a, a crash scene at home that's got, you know, the, the, angel, the, the angel and the, and the, the baby and, Mos- and Mary and Joseph and uh, the shepherds and the wise men. It didn't really happen that way. It's not like a, not like a casting call. You know, it just didn't happen that way. It, it was probably a couple years more before the wise men got there. The, ba- the baby was a holy toddler by then. Okay? And it, he might have been a holy terror like a lot of other two-year-olds. I don't know. Because the Bible says in Luke 2.52 that he grew both in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. I also know that some of my friends in Kentucky think that the wise men were firemen because they came from afar. Okay. Um, <laughs> So the angels came to the lowly, to the disenfranchised, to these shepherds that we described last week. And the herald angel said, unto you. And they took that announcement personally. And they said, this is our tiny king. I, you know, kind of like you save dessert until the end of the meal. I save a particular Christmas album, my favorite one, till the end of the Christmas celebration. And I played it for the first time this year, this morning. Because nobody sings the first Noel like B.B. and C.C. Winans do in David Foster's arrangement on his Christmas album. Nobody. I'm telling you, nobody. And it inspires me, and I haven't really had Christmas until I hear it. And I heard it this morning and my favorite part is where B.B. gets to a point toward the end of the song where he's doing his own thing. And I don't think there's any way in, in the world that Foster wrote this into his elaborate score. He begins to sing, he is the king, and he sings, he's my king. Don't you know that these woolly shepherds went and bowed at that manger and said, the angel told me he's mine. He's yours. My tiny king. Here's what I believe. I believe that the Lord Jesus will never be your savior until you're willing to also make him your king. I really believe that. Until you're willing to follow him. Look at verse 15 in chapter 2. Here's what they said. When the angels had gone away, they said, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the babies he laid in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. 
They went with haste. They didn't wait. My mom used to say it. Obedience isn't obedience unless it's immediate. And they did it. And they worshipped when they got there. And then they shared the good news. The best news ever. And people marveled at their words. And it all begins. Now, here's my question. What are you going to do with this message? What are you going to do with the Christmas message? What am I going to do with it? Am I going to appropriate it in my life? I hope we all have. But if there's someone within the sound of my voice this morning who hasn't said, that's my king, today's the day. And all it takes is a simple acknowledgement. Lord, I want to bow at the manger too. And I want to ask you to be my Savior and my King. That's all it takes. Because, you see, believing is seeing. Martin Luther, a long time ago, in the 16th century, talked a little bit about how we should live. And I want to leave this thought for you as kind of a closer for, for this Christmas season for us as a class. He said this, we ought to live as if, Jesus, as if Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is coming back tomorrow. We ought to live as if this all happened yesterday. He lived and he died yesterday. He rose from the dead today, and he's coming back tomorrow. What kind of urgency would I live in if I really, really believe that? And the truth is, it could be. Well, Joe has written us a poem. It's dated December 16th, so you've had it in the hopper for a couple of days. It's called Sweet Little Child. Sweet little child laying in a manger, do you know the government will soon put you in danger? Little child, did you know you'd soon travel far away and a few years later you'd come back to stay? Did you know that John would call you the Lamb of God and the twelve would call, would call, uh, twelve you would call and you'd follow, would follow wherever you trod? Child, did you know you would feed five thousand, you would heal the sick and lame and raise a dead man? Did you know you would die upon a tree, that you would rise to live for your followers to see? Did you know your word would spread across the sea, saving men far away and persons just like me? You've become so precious to come here as a man. We celebrate your glory and honor the great I am. As we celebrate this Christmas, we think about a little babe who came into this world that it may be saved. Isn't that wonderful? What a gift. Merry Christmas to you. May God richly bless your Christmas celebration.